What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is Awesome Hazelnuts here. And do check out my Twitch stream for more Legends or Terra related content. I do, uh, I do know that I've been publicizing and talking about my Twitch stream. But you do know that I've not been streaming a lot lately. Because I'm trying to settle a couple of my internet stuff. Because my computer is not in the room where I have direct network connection. Mainly using Wi-Fi. And I do know that a couple of you guys come to my stream and realize that it's a little bit laggy. And you have guys have problems with that. Don't worry, I'll be setting that in the near future. And like I mentioned in last episode, this week I have a special guest on board. He is none other than one of the pioneers of the Southeast Asia region. In fact, when you look at Legends of Runeterra as a whole, it's not a game where it has a very extensive history. It is a game where it's been about a year, maybe a year and a half. And this guy has been around since the start. He's a player, he's a caster, he's a deck builder. In fact, he's also a coach of one of the biggest teams in the Philippines. And let me welcome none other than Zero Infinity, one of the legends of the Southeast Asia Legends Room Dara community. Welcome, man. Welcome, Zero. Yo, what's up, everybody? Zero Infinity in the his house, man. It's great, it's great to be here. Like, I've been listening to a few of your podcasts since you started. Like, I found Hazelnuts on Twitter and I was like, oh, someone's doing podcasts in the Southeast Asia region. This would be nice. I gave him, uh, I gave his podcast a listen and I've been i've been uh intrigued in a couple of episodes like the last episode you had mr bear here which yes is a great great dude to follow right like so i mean let's get this going i'm glad really glad to be here yeah man in fact this has been like a long time coming because i do remember when i first created my twitter account i wasn't really expecting like people to notice who i am and then suddenly all of a sudden i saw your name popped up that you follow me i have no other how you even found my account and then from there, it has been more like a, you know getting to know everyone in the region and slowly opening up. Me meeting a couple of players from all around my region, meeting everyone. And you were definitely one of the first few people where you actually reached out because you were on Twitter. And there was a bit of back and forth between us because I remember that you were the guy who was like getting ranked one all the time, right? <laughs> oh man, yeah. Back in the day when I was really playing a lot, like beta, uh, it was it was like, really a great time for me i was just playing like around like three four hours a day well, that's then. a lot man and, yeah and then i got ranked one fairly early i think just a couple just a day or two after Jin. if you remember Jin, Jin is like the first ever who got master in Southeast asia if i'm correct oh i remember then, him yes i remember him I, I got hold of rank 1 and just in beta just never let it go. I was like playing War Mother Control which is surprisingly co- comes into the meta every now and then, right? And yeah. then I was playing Spooky Karma, RIP to that deck because <laughs> we, we're never gonna see that deck. I feel like the tempo is just too crazy right now for a, de- a true control deck like Spooky Karma to exist. But good times, man. Like I, I And everyone that's been on the ladder since beta like i so, well some of them have left like like mr mindshine and mm. and, and so, some people at the top of my head but mostly a lot of them stayed right in yes especially in southeast asia region scene yeah because i i remember when uh around april like that when i got into the game when i hit masters it was like the the players who were masters back then are still masters right now. Maybe here and there a couple of players left the game, but there was there's still 
essentially, right, when you look through the ladder, when you look all the way until now, it's, it's still the same people at the top. And then, of course, like yourself, I always see your name up there, maybe within top 50, maybe during the first week, rank one again. And so when it comes to that, right, I, I always see like zero infinity over there. And here's the funny thing that a lot of guys don't know is that even though zero infinity and I are on the same region, both of us hit masters pretty early during the season, we have only faced each other once, man. You know, you know that's the thing, right? We only face each other once in the entire year, eh? Dude, only once? Like, yes. it's probably because I don't really play much. Like, honestly, now after beta, after season one, I think. Season one, I was still playing a lot. Mm. Season two up to now, I think my games are below 200. I can guess like, you. Yeah, I think it's around that number. And the entirety of my ranked run all the way to whatever LP I would be at is around 200 games or less. Yeah, yeah. actually, th- that's like the number in which I used to see it, which is like less than 200 games. Uh, that was all the point until around November, I think when they announced there was going to be like seasonal tournaments, that's where I actually started putting in a little bit more time to the game because there was actually a way for you to get like, I would say compensated for the time that you put in. But then that's yeah. another... Uh, discussion for another time because I, I have one episode where I talked about you know like seasonal tournament all this there are there's a chance for you to actually get like top 32 top 16 you know top 4 eventually winning but then when it comes down to averages and I do know like some players do not agree with me because you know sometimes they get a little bit butthurt when I mention I always say that majority of the players will go 4-1 at the time it was a 5 round format right I always say majority of you guys get 4-1 I would say across the board it's 3-2 Unlucky people get 2-3. To get 5-0, right, you need to be like at that level of skill. And then one more additional layer is on the day itself, you are the man. And you get a 5-0. And there's no yeah. other way around that. And then I remember that a lot of players were upset when I say that because they're like, man, you're just being, you know, salty. You're just blah, blah, blah. But yes, it actually comes out to that, right? Yeah, coming from someone that's been playing card games for a very long time, like, I've... It's been more than a decade. I started in Magic the Gathering paper mm. back when back in high school. I can definitely attest to uh for tournaments, it's when your skill plays a major factor, but for you to go to sweep a Swiss round or to go X zero, definitely there will be a layer of luck involved and that that's coming from someone that's you know coaches a a big team in the philippines and been playing card games for a very long time Mm. definitely skill is a top factor but it's just undeniable that there is a layer of luck involved right yeah that one i guarantee you because i like you like yourself i've been playing uh, card games for about a decade now i started since uh middle school, high school era. I played Yu-Gi-Oh! a long time. I moved on to Hearthstone eventually, then I moved to Artifact. And so, in terms of everything that, I guess, me and Zero has seen from, like, a decade ago, maybe, like, a decade and a half together, we actually seen, basically, there'll always be the same thing. That means, there's gonna be a bunch of very talented players. Some players which are, like, you know, revolutionaries, create decks and all that. And then, you know, maybe on the day itself, they don't perform that well. But then, the next one, 
on the next next one, you'll see them at the top again. And so when it comes to that, right, there's definitely a degree in luck when it comes to it. And when we talk about card game experience, man, this one thing I really want to ask you, man. I'd I like to know, like, can you, like, talk us through your entire card game experience? Because, like you mentioned, you played Magic since you were in high school. So, you know, tell me more about it and how you eventually led you into playing Runeterra as a whole. Yeah, card games, man, really does have a special place in my heart. Back in elementary, back in high school, I was really into video games. I love playing on my PlayStation, Final Fantasy 1, Parasite Eve, you know, all, all those stuff were real, really near and dear to me. And then I came across this uh, hobby shop. It, uh. in, in, in the Philippines, it, we have, it's very popular to have internet cafes. Yes. Yes. So this particular internet cafe had half of the space for card games. Like they were playing Magic the Gathering. And yeah, there there are booster packs. The they they had them on for sale, and occasionally they would have the tournament, which I didn't know back then, which was a uh, Friday Night Magic, of course, for most of the uh, which Ma- Magic the Gathering players already know by now. So I was just intrigued, and then I was watching, and then really one of the things that card games really that that made me be made me become very interested was the art. Like, I don't know, just, there was just something about Magic the Gathering art, like Wizards of the Coast, like, generally, it was like, oh, I wanna, I wanna own, I, I wanna own some of those cards. Mm. And, yeah. Uh, I started, I started just playing with the random cards that were, that was just left in a pile, in a box, like, they were free for people who wanted to learn the game, and from there, I had, I, I learned the basics of the game, and, you know, like some people jokingly say that Magic the Gathering is like it's a game where there are more rules than game. <laughs> so so I, I hear some people say that and then I just I just started from there. I really just casual casual playing, you know, just throwing around around lands, throwing around creatures, some spells, like not even really thinking about the timing of your your instant spells or like the fast spells in Legends of Runeterra. Mm. And then eventually I got to a level where in there was tournaments and I just really wanted to win. Like fri- I, I, I came into Friday Night Magic using like really bad decks. Like I didn't know <laughs> what decks, what cards were good. I just it was basically just a random pile of cards. And then, uh, the community like like now even in Legends of Runeterra, there was someone that helped me like really understand the game, what it was really about. Because it's all of fun and games when you're tapping lands, putting down creatures, attacking and all that blocking. But someone someone Dan, Dan was his name. He really taught me the game like this is how you build good decks, this is what a mana curve is. This is what in, this is when you should be casting your instant spells and that's that's really the start of me being competitive in in card games and yeah, like you I moved on to Hearthstone as well mm. during during the first the, the first time it got released, uh, I actually got high ladder in Hearthstone also. Like I think I peaked around top seven. Mm. I think that was my peak in North America server. I was playing uh, combo druid. It was <laughs> if you remember that like it was super broken. The one with force of nature and then savage roar. <laughs> yeah, savage roar. And then you just you just attack, win the game. That was what I was playing. I got the top seven ladder back then, and then. 
once again with Druid, Jade Druid. I like oh. in, in my Hearthstone account, there's like every every other class has like 200 games, and, and Druid has like 2,000 games. Wow, <laughs> that, it, it's still the case today. And then uh, I stopped again, and then I ha- I went back to Paper Magic. Uh, there was a time there was there, it was a transition phase in my life right because uh hmm. i live in a home in, I, my hometown is in the mountains it's uh oh okay that's interesting it's an it's an urban area in the mountains it's called baguio city in the philippines okay but and then i was going to start to work but there there weren't a lot of uh, work opportunities in uh, from where i'm from and hmm. i studied information technology computer science same as me man (laughs) uh, so programming all that stuff uh i took a job in the metro manila area that's our capital in the in the philippines yeah more urbanized area and that's when i started playing magic again so so i kind of stopped for for a little while and then when i started working there was a uh hobby shop near me like literally, if I go down my apartment and then go inside a mall, like 100, 200 meters walk, I'd be at, I'd be at the hobby shop, and that started my competitive Magic career again. I was in a shout out to my team back in Magic: The Gathering here in the Metro Manila. There, they're called <laughs> yeah. the Husky Boys. The Husky the Boys. Husky Boys. The Husky Boys, and then we were traveling. For quite some quite some time, right? Like going to drafts and oh, going to sorry, the GPS, going to RPTQs and just having fun with the game. And then fast forward to now, not not not. I can't go into like every detail of that, but like fast forward to now, the COVID hit, right? Yeah. Pandemic, and then we're stuck at home, and then Legends of Runeterra digital card game like i feel like i missed i missed it a bit and then i was i was going for i didn't like mtg arena there was just something about it wherein i just wanted to sling paper if it's magic yeah i didn't want i didn't want it in a digital medium i i i tried playing it i i i got diamond in like i sorry i got mythic in like uh the drafts and then i didn't play constructed in mtg arena then i tried doing some hearthstone for a while and then Eventually, Legends of Runeterra came out. Uh, it was the close. Oh, sorry, open or closed beta, but it was only open to Singapore yes. in the Southeast Asia region. So, mm. what what Philippine players were doing, like the OG Philippine players that were playing in beta, we had to we had to register through VPN. Like, yeah, we registered through VPN just to get a hold of the game, and yeah, man, now we're here a year after. Yeah, man. What a you know, you know your your journey through uh, talking about like Hearthstone, then going to Legends of Runeterra. It's also because of COVID that I actually started playing uh Runeterra. Actually, if COVID didn't happen, right, <laughs> this podcast episode or this podcast in general wouldn't even exist in the first place. Because like yourself, when COVID hit, right, I was actually having plans to move to the United States for some uh you know some project that I was actually supposed to join, and then all of a sudden when when the COVID thing hit, when my travel thing got cancelled, they told me that the, the visa application is going to take super, super long for me to get there. And then there's like the whole world's in chaos and all that. 
So I sat at home and I looked myself in the mirror and I was asking, what the heck is happening? And then all of a sudden, right, I have a friend who is like a tournament organizer, all that. He, he does like Hearthstone stuff. He's quite a big organizer. And then he told me that uh, there's going to be like a closed beta launch or something along that lines for a game called Legends of Runeterra. And then I remembered at the back of my mind, oh wow, Legends of Runeterra, that sounds familiar. I went to search about it and then they said that it was the Riot, Ga- Riot Games card games. At the time, I used to watch League of Legends, the World Championship. Mm-hmm. I only watched League of Legends World Championship. Other than that, I don't really watch anything else. And they were announcing that there was going to be like a whole suite of games, a MMO, a card game, a FPS game. And I didn't know that the Legends from Terra was actually going to be this card game that they were talking about. And all of a sudden, when I saw the card game be released, I thought to myself, since I'm stuck in Singapore and I really have no other plans other than a project, why not? I just play Legends from Terra. And then download the game, played it, and then I was so amazed that everything in the game is free. And the rest is history, man. Yeah, like, there's there's just something about Legends of Runeterra, like, you, I was watching LCS, you know, get, like, I was watching, like, OG League of Legends, like, the X-Pack moment from Fnatic and all that, I remember, like, watching that live, and mm. then, and I, I played a little bit of League of Legends as well, I, I dabbled in MOBA, MOBA games in, in the past, too, and I was pretty competitive at it, and I was also in, like, a semi-professional team for another MOBA, but card games just it's just where i'm supposed to be so this is the game i love the most honestly card game genre and then lessons to frontier like really really the, the the first thing that got me hooked was the uh progression the of the how you got your cards mm. right so like in hearthstone it it's like super expensive or in yes magic it's 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 incredibly expensive but in lessons of frontier like you just keep playing the game, and I was like, "Oh man, you just just get all the cards, really? You just get, you get. They just hand you the champ champion wild cards, which you need to build the deck." And I don't know. There was just something about the spell mana mechanic. Yes, and then I agree. having and that the absence from Hearthstone, right? Like it's the 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 way you can respond with a spell, like the instant spell in Magic, like. They had that in Legends of Runeterra, the fast spells and the burst spells, and I was like, this is it. This is like the evolution of what a digital CCG should be. And I was like, I want to play this some more. I want to learn everything about it. I want to be the best at it. And that was, that was my first, that was my first like foray into Legends of Runeterra. And that, that goes into my journey of like taking rank one in beta season is, I just had that mindset. I just... Mm. I just had that drive, like, I want to be the best at this game, and sure enough, like, I, I got there, and then, I don't know, I don't know what happened, like, during, after season one, it, I just had, I was like, I was pretty bored, I was like, I don't know, I don't know why I, I'm not putting in a lot of effort anymore. Yeah, actually, I, I really understand your point of view, because... I remember my first card game, which was Yu-Gi-Oh. It was the game where I put like easily 14, 15 hours a day, especially before a tournament. I put a lot of time into it. And then the second game come along, which was Hearthstone. It was sort of a kind of game where I only had six months because I was going to enlist into the army. And so I told myself, within six months, if I don't make it a BlizzCon, I'm just going to forget about it. 
And so it was like a fight or flight moment for me. I just played the game. I couldn't make it. And you know what? I just left the game. And then the for artifact-wise, the game just sort of imploded. And, you know, nobody's even playing it anymore. And then for Runeterra, okay. the funny thing was I always wanted to make a podcast. Because I've been listening to a lot of like Joe Rogan. I've been listening to a lot of uh, other podcasts all over the place. And I'm thinking that, you know, I, I thought that the barrier to entry to a podcast is going to be super, super hard. And then I keep having these doubts in my mind, thinking that I need to be like an influencer, you know, like a celebrity, something like a, you know, Wolverine. I forget what's like, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I need to be like Hugh Jackman. Or I need to be like Tom Cruise <laughs> to start a podcast. And then when I was playing Legends of Runeterra, right, this was way before I even knew there was any other Legends of Runeterra podcast. I look at the game and I was thinking, wow, this is like a brand new game. There definitely, there, there's definitely a, a chance, right, that I can start a podcast and talk about the game. And then I played the game, I enjoyed it within like the first three months, it was amazing. And then I played it, I was like in June, I was thinking really, it's either I start a podcast now or I'm never ever going to start it. And so I just, I just went to buy myself a microphone, put it in my room, bought a boon arm and, we, and eventually got started. And then, okay, then we're going to talk about one part about this podcast, which is, you know, like you mentioned that you was you strive to be the best and all that. And definitely there has been like the past four seasonal tournaments. I'd like to know, right? Because everyone here, right, I do know that there's a couple like American listeners and if this is for the first time, you guys from the US, Zero Infinity is one of the casters for the seasonal tournaments. He has also casted various tournaments in like the Southeast Asia region, primarily the Dragon Summit, which is our premier Southeast Asia Invitationals. And so Zero Infinity, right, as a player, he's also a caster and he's also a coach. And so definitely he has like a wide spectrum of speciality towards what he has done, what he has done in Legends of Terra. And so for this, right, he's not only just, he not only played in a seasonal tournament, he's also a caster in one. And so, Zero, man, I'd like to know, like, how's your experience playing in a seasonal tournament and also, like, your casting experience? Yeah, we, let's touch upon that. But first, like, really, I want I want to resonate with how you start tried to start your podcast, right? Mm. Like, you just j- went in it, ju- jumped in it, and started making content. And that's basically how I started in Legends of Frontier as well. Yeah. Like, I didn't have any I didn't have any casting experience to be honest. Like, Serious? I can Yeah, I can talk. Like I can talk talk like Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> same here in the podcast. Like this is how how I normally talk and then I didn't have a page back then before Legends of Frontier and I was like I got rank 1 and I was like hmm Maybe I should start making a Twitter. Maybe start making a Legends of Runeterra Facebook page, and that's exactly where when I started. Like the time I got rank one, a couple of days after that, I said, "Maybe let's make a Facebook page," and then mm. that's 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 what I did. And then there were some uh, groups in the Philippine region, like Rumble Royale, which were doing the uh, major tournaments for Legends of Runeterra. Yeah, there, there's there there's a bunch of other more like brand esports that started tried to start get into the uh, tournament scene for Legends of Runeterra and then I just started networking with them like uh, hey uh, let me let me help you run your tournament because back in beta I, I I also hosted a tournament and I don't know if you know Fizzlart from Malaysia I think I think I heard he about was him like, yeah I heard about yeah, him yeah Fizzlart from Malaysia and he was like I said oh this is an all Philippine tournament I can't if you win, I can't give you the prize because, uh, because like 
the the fees g- giving him the prize for international transfer would be more than what what the prize was because it was just a really really small prize pool and then it, and then we had this like 16 man tournament back in beta for the Philippines and Fizzard said he just wanted to join for the tournament experience and he won it all <laughs> yeah man. and then he was like oh don't worry about the prize I just wanted to play in the tournament and then eventually I found a sponsor mm. that was for Bilge Water Brawl if you if you can remember that that tournament Bilge Water Brawl and Trials of Targon I remember which had like hundred or two hundred dollar prize pool and that's when that's how I started casting Legends of Frontera by mm. hosting my own tournament to cast in so I would have like a demo reel to show the bigger organizers when they were when they were creating tournaments like hey I can cast this game for you because there was just a scarcity of English casters for Legends of Frontera right there was a space that needed to be filled and I transitioned from going from I want to be the very best at this game to making just I want to make everyone else happy. Mm. So that's how I transitioned into into casting and then thankfully like people liked my initial work and then I built upon that. I just tried to get better and better at casting and then eventually landed me seasonals. Like I don't know how I landed seasonals casting for Southeast Asia, but we're here. Like I've done every seasonals along with Moonboy, and then I've done the major events in the Philippines. So, how what, what's it like casting Legends of Frontier? What's it like? What what what's the difference between casting and playing? I remember a moment in last seasonals. I think it was from Flying Fish. The yeah, triple Flying sharp Fish. side moment, and then the single combat to win the game. Like. Th- that's a key difference between casting and playing. When you're playing, you're thinking about winning this, winning this, and then how do you win this? And then you think about the triple sharp sight, single combat, maybe take the risk that they don't have freeze or anything like that. And you just sit there and then hope that the line you took was correct. But when I'm casting, even though I know that's the line that I'm going to take, I tried to bring the audience along with me for the ride. I wasn't there for that specific moment, but if I was casting that, I'd bring them along for the ride. Like, oh my God, double sharp side, triple sharp side. Even. And <laughs> like, yeah, he, ha- he has one off. He's one off from this. And then you can, but wait, he has single combat to give Fury. Like you, when you're casting, it has to be for the audience. Like, try to bring them along for the ride like really impose those moments that if you were playing it wouldn't be so special you know you get what i mean yes i get what i mean man because i've casted a bit yeah yeah and it's like sometimes when you're playing it's it's just not special right like but when you're when you're the one commentating when you're you're the one casting sometimes you know a certain play is going to happen and instead of thinking of uh, what's the consequences what are the possible outplays sometimes you just have to go along with the moment and then instead of thinking about the counterplays you talk about how great that that play was or like how great that player was and you know elevate elevate these players into the professionals that they are during during the show 
Yeah, I, I really agree with you on that point. Because when you're playing, right, it's usually like tunnel vision on yourself, how to win the game. But then when you're casting, you just really want to push whoever you're casting to a whole new level. Because I, mm. I did remember... Because when you talk about this, right, like elevating the player, I remember I was casting uh, NTNN, who's a Taiwanese player, if I'm not mistaken. He was playing the uh, Dragon Summit. And then, you know, the whole chat was like saying something along the lines that, you know, it's an aggro deck, it's easy to play and all that. And then when he was playing against uh, another player, if I believe he was running also a very similar lineup, which was not really aggro, but it's more of like a Silver LeBlanc kind of like decks. And so when NTNN was playing, there was always one route which would say like, oh, aggro, easy game, the game's going to be very fast. But then when I, when I casted this game, right, I wanted to let the audience know that when it comes to aggro, right, no doubt it is an easy concept, you know, it's like the games end fast. But sometimes when it comes to it, right, every single point of damage matters. Especially when, depending on which turn you're attacking, how you, how you manage to get the bot space, when you have an open swing, how you maximize your damage, taking of how to like noxious fervor and all that. And so I really added on a whole new layer of saying that, you know, NTNA is uh, deliberately thinking about how much damage he can put. You know, what happens when the opponent, after a combat phase, develops something, how he reacts, how he set up for the next combat phase on his following turn. And then I remember casting a game, and then the, the best part was that, even though I casted a game, and you know, maybe the audience didn't really catch on to it. But then, here's one thing that a lot of people don't know, is that after the game, right, after NTNN won that Dragon Summit qualifier, he actually messaged me, and told me that he listened to the VOD after 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 the broadcast was over. And he told me that, you know, when, when he custom my game, right, I was very happy that you mentioned about all this because, you know, he when he listened to it, right, he actually felt very like optimistic already. He he felt really good when he heard that I was saying all these things about the way he, he treated those games. And then he said, I really enjoyed it, you know, that I would like to hear you cast again. So it's that kind of things where, where you know when you cast, right? It's just it's just like you're you're not only do you have to think about the audience, also when the player look back, you know, he, they want to reanalyze their gameplay. Then when a player tells you, oh my gosh, I was listening to your broadcast and I heard the way that you commented my game and I was very happy that you say something like that. Yeah, I also know that, yeah, it feels really good, right? When Especially when the player at the end of the game, they kind of tell you something like that. Yeah, like definitely casting is something that when you're doing it, I, at least my style of casting, I try to be as selfless as possible. But, you know, in contrast to competing, you're very self-centered. Like, yeah. oh, he's. I hope my opponent <laughs> makes a mistake. Yeah, you know, you, you have that. You have those thoughts in your mind. But when you're casting, like I, you want to be able to, I one elevate the plays and impose those moments, and two, if you can, impart some knowledge to the audience. And sometimes, you'll be able to impart some knowledge with the competitors as well, like just commentating about why why that was a bad choice or something like that but when i when i when i'm casting and i'm emphasizing a bad choice or like what 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 could have been i don't dunk on players you know like yeah some, yeah. some casters they just dunk on players like oh that was a shit move <laughs> when when i'm casting when there's a bad move i try to like rationalize it and then mm. talk about why they would think of making that and why other plays would be much better but in 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 that sense right when when i mentioned that like trying to analyze specific situations sometimes it's difficult when you're casting because one you have to talk you think you have to think about how you're going to say an idea and then two you're also thinking about what that idea is and sometimes 
doing those those two things at the same time sometimes you'll get the wrong idea and then you'll just have to roll with it when when you mention it right like so, sometimes i touch upon this on casting when i i say when after i say something i think i immediately think oh that's that's a wrong call i should correct that and then somewhere down the line during the cast i would i would call myself out like mm. oh i think now that I think about it, the move that X player did was definitely better because he was thinking about so and so cards, and that's something that I still try to improve on when I'm casting. Because that that just combination of thinking about the idea and then thinking about how to say it when you're casting is the most difficult thing of all for for myself. Yeah, because when when you cast right, sometimes. You already thought of like the optimal play, but sometimes your opponent do like something weird, and then you try to contain yourself. And I really like the fact that you mentioned that you have to be extremely selfless, because you don't really know what is going through your going through the players' minds. Because when it comes to like competing, sometimes when they when they think through things, right, there's a lot of like tension because it's high stakes. It's really high stakes. They 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 at the back of their mind, right? They know they have to play their A game. And then mm-hmm. also on the back of the mind, there's always Twitch chat that is ready to burn them alive. <laughs> and then Twitch not- chat takes no prisoners, bro. Like every time, Twitch chat is just brutal. Twitch chat is like super brutal, man. I-, I remember like when a player makes a misplay, especially when it comes to like Dota 2 or League of Legends, right? It gets super hilarious. They'll be yeah. like, low professional player miss last hit or something like that. And <laughs> it really gets to you, especially when you're like a professional player. And then you you, you want to reanal- you want to analyze your gameplay, and then I think the last thing you want to do is see the Twitch chat board, right? I think obviously you have your own like recording, but sometimes you get curious, you want to see what players are saying, and then you go onto it and you see them like flaming you alive, saying you what you made the wrong rotation, you made the yeah. wrong play, and all that. And so that's why when it comes to competing, right? As a caster, I don't know that casters rarely get flamed for like saying stuff, but then for the players wise, right? They have to bother about their game. They have to bother about Twitch chat and they have to bother about the casting commentating that place. And so yeah. as a caster yourself, right, you also try to like elevate it and make sure like those players are actually seen as thinking through their place instead of like criticizing all their place. I think that's very important. Yeah. yeah. And I mean Twitch chat, like YouTube chat to to an extent, they're really brutal on yes. casting as well. Like if it, it, like sometimes I visit the comment section and I'm like, oh, they're really brutal about, like you know, iron casters. Oh, <laughs> calm down, bro. I'm rank one master. Calm down. <laughs> I remember, like you know, the the Twitch chat will be like, what rank are these casters? I remember one time that I was casting with Hosono, and then there was one some guy got into the chat, then he was like, what rank are these casters? <laughs> and then. I think Sono got a little bit affected, but then when I saw it, right, it was like, this guy is obviously like trolling us. And then and then he started mentioning about like other players and all that. But you know, there are definitely bound to be like some players who just come on and like try to like make you have a bad day. And then when I talk about like casting and all that, right, I really want to know, man, the ultimate difference between casting and playing, especially when it comes to tournament, what do you think is the biggest difference between casting and playing? Biggest difference? Hmm. It's that pressure, I think. The, mm. the player pressure when you're competing is much higher than the pressure when you're casting and trying to say the right thing. The pressure is so high when you're competing. It, 
you can see this in like top cuts like the best players just not finding the optimal line is because they are so pressured like you mentioned it a while ago high stakes right like, i yes. mean with what is that ten thousand dollars on the line for for the championship and especially in philippine money that's a lot man that's half a million pesos in our currency and when you, when you're there if you're watching you always you always have a clear mind like you always see the correct line right correct. especially when a pro is a pro is watching like similar pros are watching a different pro playing the tournament they'll see the lines clearly but the pro that's supposed to be really good as well like on par with every other pro watching on the twitch chat or whatever medium you are watching from they're not seeing all the lines clearly because that pressure is just crazy sometimes and sometimes no all the time the one with the most control of their nerves always get ahead in the competition it's really important if you if you're competing you need to be re- you need to really get a hold of your nerves so you can see all the lines clearly and know when you've made mistakes how to recover and all that and i i talk about that when i coach blacklist adele like mm. and everyone else like the lugio yejin and all that i talk about always keep a calm mind think about your place and then if you lose a match leave it there we're moving on to the next one stay positive right yeah that's and a dango mindset that's that's the biggest difference between casting and playing. You're basically doing the same thing, except you know the player's not talking. But the pressure between the pressure of talking versus the pressure of competing is that's a wide gap. Like it's always so much more. You're always so much more pressured when you're the one playing. Yeah, that I really can attest to it because I've played in some really big tournaments when it comes to like Yu-Gi-Oh, Hearthstone and then where I, I also tried casting and all that. I mean, in terms of casting, right, I can tell you that the, the only big difference is that you constantly have to find things to say. And one thing you do note is that when players are watching the game, they always care about the gameplay more than what the casters have to say. Maybe sometimes some players are very particular about how the casters cast, but that's a very rare anomaly. When you're playing card games, right, especially when you're playing at like super high stakes, like $10,000 on the line, $100,000 on the line, sometimes in some cases it's like $200,000, $1,000,000, or that kind of thing, it really gets to you, you know. At that point, right, some players don't even think about the cash price at all. What they care about is the glory at the end of the day. And the thing is that sometimes when you make a misplay when you are playing these sort of high six games, right? It not only just makes you feel demoralized, it just sort of like punches you in the gut. Sometimes you just feel like the walls are closing in, then you know the, your your windpipe start to get like get tightened, and then all of a sudden you get dizzy and you can't rating properly. Because this sort of thing really gets into your head, especially when it comes to like competing. It, it, it's, it's a kind of experience where not a lot of players get to experience because we only have like what one seasonal tournament every two months. Eventually, one world championship once a year. This sort of like high stakes thing, right? It's not something that a lot of players get to experience in their life. If you get it right, if you get the experience right, you go through it right, and you walk out of it right, a totally different man. Because it's really different from 
you know, you can practice all you want. You know, I always look at rank ladder as like taking the practice exam paper. And then when it comes to the actual like exam or real life, it's totally different. It's like whole new ball game. It's no longer best of one. It's like best of three, best of five or best of whatever. Whole world is watching you. Glory's on the line. You can't disappoint yourself. You can't disappoint more anyone. And really, I, I really appreciate your work that you have done for like Blacklist. And yeah, by the way, talking about Blacklist, man, can, can you tell us more about Blacklist and yeah, your role as a coach and how you eventually got into it? Hmm, so Blacklist, they started as tyrants, remember? Yes. Like Adele. Yeah, uh, shout out to Adele, man. Remember. Yeah. yeah, Adele, Hyejin, uh, who else is there? Aide Tiger, Tassel, hmm. like a bunch of them are still here. Like not a lot of, not not all of them got signed into the into blacklist ah, okay. but like the we had we had to make a decision i think it was me and adele and we had to cut some people because there were a limit of people who we could sign onto the professional team mm. and yeah it just so happened we had a long hard conversation about who to cut and who to bring in and uh, my brand on, on Facebook, right? Like when I made my page, it was it was really not about me. Like I I wanted to pay forward the kindness that the people showed me during uh my first foray into competitive magic, which we talked about a while ago, right? Yeah. Like what what Dan did for me, like he he. He basically taught me competitive magic, like ev- word for word, like everything I know about competitive magic. The the first not all the first knowledge that I got from th- that I got was from him, and then I was like, maybe I could pay that forward now because I wasn't able to do that in in MTG because I was pretty selfish in MTG. Like, yeah, I kept the best decks to myself. Like I I played for myself and all that. And then I had this like feeling that i wanted to pay it forward so when i made my page i I just tried to help everyone like when i made the tournaments it was for the community like i didn't want to participate and Mm. i just wanted to host host for them and then people started going to me for advice like we talked about it like season one beta i was holding rank one for long periods of time and i was just i was just giving free advice to everyone like maybe you should play this deck maybe you're thinking about this certain play pattern wrong and i i did that for tyrants as well but like not officially like i just i was in their discord server and the private channels and whenever they would uh dispute on a play or like they needed an opinion on a deck choice a late uh, a lineup choice i was always there because uh one thing about me like even even if i don't compete a lot right now right like i don't join in a lot of tournaments or even join the seasonals for that matter i really i have a good grasp on a lot of like theories and i have a really good grasp on meta game and reading all those meta games and that's just something that i have the luxury of like because for one like i don't have to think about playing i can use my 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 time elsewhere right to yes. craft decks to craft lineups like tell you why this certain combination of three decks would be bad going into seasonals and it just started off like that like just me giving back to the community and fortunately for me the community gave back by 
me being in casting spots by me mm. being a coach in a professional team so it just came full circle right like so whatever i put in legends of runeterra legends of runeterra gave that back to me in another form and that's how i started coaching blacklist a professional team in the philippines so i don't know really thankful really thankful for that Because I've been uh, following Tyrants and Blacklist ever since last year, around like July, August. Because I, I the first person I met from Blacklist is Adele, actually. Because in August, he was actually playing the Duos of Runeterra. And I played yeah. against him in the semifinals. He was actually down 0-2. At that point, right, most players would just give up. But for Adele, right, he went all the way. He reverse swept me and he won. Which is yeah. something which not a lot of players in their lifetime can say that they beat me in the semifinals. And so after that game, right, I I would just I just went there and say, well played, man. I know you're going to win this. And then at that point, I I didn't know that you know. Then he went all the way. He eventually won. And that's the thing that ever since then, right, I knew that you know this guy he really put a lot of time to the game. I I do not know him at that level yet. Maybe he's just a guy, you know. He's just zero and ones on the screen. Because when it comes to computer games, it's zero and ones. And then eventually, somehow I got I get to meet the guy. I met the guy on like Twitter, Adele. Follow him. Exchange a little bit here and there. He will definitely be on my podcast, but I'm not gonna say when, but he will be on it soon. And then we started exchanging, and then I really seen the hard work that he has put in through all the seasonals, every single season. He's he's been trying to like push his teammates. He actually went down to actually go and like meet the different players on his own team, and that's like a really whole new level because I don't see people going around meeting people. And I do remember that like you you and him actually met up, right? And that was like yeah, that's that was great, man. Because this kind of thing, right? A lot of people just try to keep it within like a digital realm. But for him, right, he went like above and beyond, like you, uh, paying it forward, meeting the team, ensuring everybody is like not just you know just playing the game, being competitive. It's something like a family. This is the most important yeah. thing when it comes to it. Because when you look back, right, you're not gonna think about how many times you won. You're gonna think about the memories that you had with your team, and that's why I I really appreciate that everything you have done for like the community and like Blacklist in general. Yeah, I mean, talking about Adele since we're on on his topic now, mm. like Adele, like insane growth, bro. Like, uh, I first hosted Bilgewater Brawl, like the the first ever sponsored tournament that I I found a sponsor for, and then he was just crap. Like he was shit back then. He mm. was he was bronze level playing, and then in a span of a year, look where he is. Like he's quite insane. Like I would if. If I had to name my like top five in Southeast Asia, he'd be yeah. in the top five. Definitely. When when yeah. it comes to Adele, right? I I remember yeah. that uh, he when he played against me in like those Rentera and before that, I never really heard about him. You know, in terms of Master Ladder, I've never really seen his name, because when you talk about Master Ladder, right, there's only like a couple of players that come to mind. It was like you, of course, Zero Infinity. Second one is like Jin. Third one's like Clarity, and then there's High. And then come along like East Cream, and then eventually there's like couple of players here and there, and then all of a sudden, right, Adele came in, put in a lot of hard work, and this is where he's now, man. He's going to worlds, man. Yeah, and I mean, like that's a testament to how different rank ladder is from tournament, right? And mm. look, look, look at tournament right now. Like people, people on ladder are like tired of Azurelia. They're tired of Thresh Tasus, but look how healthy tournament meta is when you can just ban a certain deck and i don't know maybe maybe riot should just be putting on the uh three deck format in in ladder or something that everybody's been been crying out for i think that sounds great 
<laughs> yeah, because it's 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 a hot topic on Twitter always, right? Like they yeah. put in best of three on ladder and like put in the gauntlet the gauntlet style in ladder and I don't know, maybe it, it's a way to keep things uh, fresh. <laughs> the perception of people on the meta fresh, right? Yeah, because when it comes to the topic, right, we, we went through Guardians of the Ancient. You know, I keep calling Guardians of the Ascended because, you know, because Nasus, Azir, and <laughs> Renekton are Ascendants. I keep calling Guardians of the Ascended. I had to change, like, my podcast episode names because I realized it's Guardians of the Ancient. But, you know, yeah. okay, I, I really nobody really flagged out, but I saw it myself. And we, we went through one of the craziest metas to date, right? We fought Azir, Aurelia, Susan, and... TLC at the top. Occasionally, there's like some decks here and there, but when you can't look at the big tree, the big tree is here to stay. And we all know that there's going to be like a brand new expansion, right? Have you seen the new cards? I just saw Rek'Sai last night. And I, I've seen a couple of the new cards, right? Like, we have a channel in the Discord where mm. we post like the, the pictures of that. So I've, I've, seen, I've seen all of them. I've seen like the Rek'Sai, right? The the actually Rek'Sai looks pretty good, right? It doesn't look that bad, because no one's gonna play it at level one. It's gonna be like something you draw on level two, instantly level yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, and we you can do you can do a couple of things with that, right? Like shape stone, maybe. Oh yes. If you pair it with Noxus, you can get the uh, elixir of wrath. I don't know. There's a couple of ways to just level it up when on the turn it comes down. Yeah, because I was actually thinking of like, you know, I, I saw Rek'Sai stat line, 3 mana, 3, 6 at level 1. I'm thinking, wow, actually this looks pretty good uh, for a 3 drop, 3 mana, 3, 6. No doubt it, it gets shuffled back. But the level effect, man, is where it's at. It's like overwhelmed together with... Okay, it's going to be 10 damage when he attacks, right? When he levels up. And this is going to be like super crazy. Eh? And you can imagine burst speed, you buff, you buff everything and you attack. And then, you know, yeah. level up, boom, overwhelmed. And then as early as like turn 4, turn 5... Presumably, if you have like the very good hand, and what do you think about the look package, man? I was looking at it and I was like, this doesn't look that enticing until Rexai came about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Lurk. Th- this is this is the me- this is one of those mechanics wherein you have to play to know how good it is, right? Yes, like, I agree. Th- it's one of those mechanics that is really hard to uh, to evaluate because. You have to see the meta be around it, especially that you you need to be attacking to trigger trigger lurk, right? Yes. And then you you're gonna have to feel it out, like the predict. Like, do you need predict for lurk to work consistently? There's a lot of questions about lurk, and I'm I'm just not too sure about how strong it is. But my general feeling about it is, I don't know. I just I like more complex mechanics. Is, is is what I want to say. Like I, lurk is fine. Like attack, give everyone stats. But I like like more complex mechanic. Uh, Nightfall, for example, is yes, a Nightfall. nice complex mechanic that I really enjoy. I, I like those sort of uh, design. I like. I'm gonna get some flack on this, but I I actually like Blade Dance as a mechanic. Mm. But I don't appreciate how overly pushed it is. Like it's too strong. But uh, mechanic-wise, it's good because you can enable some some cards, right? Like some, As, yeah. you can dice. you can do some really crazy combos like Emperor dice and all that. 
which previously were were just inaccessible as part of competitive competitive goals, right? So correct. I like I like mechanics like that. So lurk is one of those mechanics that I'm not particularly interested in, but as my position in Legends of Retire, like I build decks, I, I coach a team, I have to know how mm. strong it is. So I'm gonna be playing with it and trying to find the best deck for it. But I'm not intrigued by it is what I'm trying to say. I'm not I I'm not interested in it. Yeah, I I really agree with you on the point, but I love because when I first saw it, right, without Rek'Sai, it just seems pretty iffy. Because the whole predict thing, right, the thing about the predict mechanic is you're going to draw it, and if you don't have draw, right, you only have one draw per turn, which is at the start of the turn. And really, apart mm-hmm. from that, right, there's really a lot of ways for you to mess up, because what can go wrong will always go wrong. When you look at history, right, the best decks are the ones that consistently draw. Doesn't matter what you predict. As long as there's like a draw engine in it, something like a Ezreal Karma, something like a What's that deck? I almost forgot what's it called. Uh, TF is... has been very problematic with decks that can keep tempo while generating value. That's Twister one Fate, of right? The, Twister Fate is a big cut. That's one of the things that are like... It's really crazy about Runeterra. Like, decks shouldn't be able to do that, right? Like, you're, you're keeping tempo plus you're generating value. There's only a few cards that should be able to do that. But in, in Legends of Runeterra, it seems to be a norm for when you're a top deck that's the two things that that's the that's the combination that your deck should be doing that like every card in your deck is still keeping tempo while it's generating value and it's pretty insane because it it tilts the usual axis of a card game right because tempo and value generation shouldn't go hand in hand but somehow in runeterra like cards like pale cascade allow you to do that (laughs) Yeah, you you get your creature to stay on board. You get you minus one your opponent's side, and you get a you get a one on your board, which the creature that remains, and a brand new card. And it's like a plus yeah. two. Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's actually it's a plus two minus one, so it's a three card, three card advantage for you if you think about yeah. it that way. That's why I really like the fact that you mentioned about the 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 tempo together with the value generation because we went through one meta also with the uh, Aphelios Twister Fate. It's it's the most no. it's the that's the craziest deck, right? That I've seen. That was, that was, that was insane like deck. insane deck. Right? If you're playing TF Ophelios, you're not even playing Legends of Runeterra anymore. You're like playing a MTG Modern Zoo or something like that. Like <laughs> oh, that, yes. That's how good it was. Like it was, it was like you have you have you have a full grip. You have a full hand of cards. You have a full board, and you're you're also going tall with the Veiled Temple. I don't, I don't know how that deck did that. It was insane. It was like you could have life steal. You can summon creatures from your deck. You can challenge. Yeah. <laughs> you get mana back. You get draws. You get everything. And it's a sort of deck where it can beat anything. I remember how ridiculous that deck was to the point yeah. where they had to nerf all three of the cards Veil, Temple, yeah. Aphelios, and Twister Fate. That was crazy. Yeah. Like, like I said, right? If you were facing that deck and you were on on a different deck, like you're not on TF Aphelios, it just felt very unfair. Like yes. you were. It felt like you weren't playing the same game. The guy just destroys your stuff. He gets to summon creatures on the deck. He gets mana back. His Aphelios gets bigger. He gets slap on overwhelm or lifesteal whenever he wants. He gets discount. <laughs> he gets to stun your stuff because he has Twister Fate. He has unlimited cards and he has my melt. <laughs> that was like basically yeah. <laughs> the deck which Insane. could do everything. Insane. 
And remember TFVs, right? That's why you mentioned about the value generation together with the uh, tempo. TFVs is the deck where together with TF Affiliates, right? It was so crazy, right? It was such a meta where you were either bringing TF Affiliates or you're going to play TFVs. And yeah. when, when you look at it, right? When we went through all these metas, we went through TLC. I think TLC is like too busted. It's like no matter how much you try to counter, like bring Overwhelm, like playing uh, Trials, including Deep into the pool. When you look at TLC, right? Fundamentally, right? It's, it's just busted because it just wins by a turn. It doesn't require like a lot of setup and all that. Yeah. It just requires you to have the essential pieces that it needs, right? A trundle. Yeah a matron a pillar and sometimes you don't even have to have that exact combination there's a lot of combinations that will get you to your watcher turn and i don't know i'm i I, i'm not very vocal about nerfs but Mm. i think the problematic card in that deck would definitely be matron yes like if it wasn't eight like maybe maybe we can like pseudo nerf it to seven or something so it doesn't combo with TLC. I don't. I don't know. There needs to be a rework, rework somewhere. And I was mentioning it in the last seasonals. Like I yeah. do a debrief sometimes of the seasonals, and I was like, I'm happy about the the meta. And then uh, there are three big performers, namely Nasus, Thresh, TLC, and all that. And I was saying that we're definitely gonna see some cuts in this deck like they're gonna they're definitely gonna nerf some cards and to bring down the win rate just by a bit right like i don't i don't like heavy-handed nerfs i mm. like i like nerfs that are sound like enough to bring down a tier one deck a notch or two but still keep it playable so i wasn't really a big fan of how bad the nerf was for the Aphilios t- temple deck because it just it just obliterated into like unplayable territory right yes. like i wish it wasn't as heavy-handed as that, but to my surprise, like they didn't touch anything in, like Thresh Nasus. Like I, to an extent, they touch atrocity, right? One mana, mm. but they added Merciless Hunter into the game, <laughs> which was like a buff to that deck. And then they did nothing on TLC. So I don't know. It was pretty questionable about balance. Like up to now, I'm still I'm still questioning like why they aren't touching certain cards. Yes, I. you know when it comes to TLC right, and the Nasus Trash thing, when I look at TLC as a deck, I always think, you know, this whole deck is just Lissandra plus 37 Calefair Actors. <laughs> because it's just, yeah. I, I just need Lissandra to level up, I get a free eye shot, and if my opponent doesn't die by the eye shot, I'll most likely be able to kill him before that with the Watcher. And if both else fails, right, I got a bunch of matrons to drop, and my trundle gets yeah. overwhelmed, and I just win the game. And then yeah. for Trash Nasus, right, I'm the I'm they who endure with uh with spell shield and some fearsome and atrocity nerf right to me right atrocity has always been I would say top three of my most problematic cards I've been very vocal about the atrocity nerf I've always been saying that the damage needs to be dealt to both players to force a draw some players get upset they tell me you know I'm crazy I'm on crack because in <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> in Yu-Gi-Oh there was a card called Ring of Destruction which is uh you sacrifice one creature and you deal damage to both players. And so sometimes you get a draw, sometimes you get a win, sometimes you get a loss. And so I believe that Atrocity really is like the kind of card where it enables the players to like play badly and they just, all they gotta do is just Atrocity and they win. And so yeah. when it comes to that, right, I'd like to know what you like to what would you like to see in the next expansion, man? 
the nerves and all that. Like I don't call it nerves, I call it rebalancing. Yeah, I mean honestly it's not even like rebalancing that I want. Honestly, being in the game for like since since it started, right? I just I just want some fresh decks, honestly. Like I this is something that I always tell Blacklist or like whoever talks to me about what do I want to see next in the in the next expansion? I I want like Demacia to stop being so Demacia-y. If yes. you know <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know like I want I want there to be a fresh take on Demacia or like I want I want like if you think about it right like all the Demacia decks are just are just like iterations of whatever it was in beta. I can wait. Whatever, whatever oh. the Demacia deck was in beta, like we had Splash Deny back then. We had, we had Splash Ruination. We had Splash Rekindler in beta, mm. and it's still here. Like it's it's the same old decks, and like I don't know. Like the burn decks are the same. Like there are there's no like new angle to how you can do burn. All the Ezreal decks are still the same. There's no new angle on how you can play Ezreal. And I don't know, for the expansion after after the next one, I want mm. like fresh takes on, on the regions. Because maybe maybe I'm spoiled from magic. Like mo- like red doesn't do red stuff all the time, right? Like it's not it's not burn all the time in magic. Like sometimes it's in an elemental deck, sometimes it's in a mid-range mid-range deck and the red deck is for removal like you, you know like yes. i want there to be like different a different axis on on the region i because right now regions feel like they have identity you can't deny that like they have like if you want burn it's in noxus or like in, in pnz but i want them to be i want to be able to feel like an expansion that gives me demacia that isn't demacia now mm. You know, you know when you mention about the master isn't the master. I I really believe right that the master can be the anti spell region. You know, they they really have a lot of cards right, which can actually make it turn into like a anti spell deck for your opponent. You know, because they have they have a lot of crazy cards like Stony Suppressor and all that. I would like to see yeah. right the master take a yeah. brand new facelift and become like anti mage yeah. deck. You know. Yeah, yeah, something like taxes, right? Like yes. death and taxes in Magic, like mm. tax your opponent, like. I want there to be like an avenue or like an axis wherein I can do that with Demacia and not just be oh mid-range dragons bro like let me put some single combat into my deck and put some well-statted creatures I just and and that goes for every other region too like Mm. I want I want new takes on on how I can play a certain region it's like for example like Fail Lord people always think of it as like uh, Flash Freeze People always think about, about Frostbite and all that. In fact, maybe they yeah. can add in like new mechanics, something like a, you know, landslide or something because it's an avalanche, right? Like your opponent cannot yeah. attack for one turn because there's like an ice frigate. Maybe Freelord will take a brand new face sleeve and become something like that. And then, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of potential for the game to introduce brand new mechanics, brand new ways of playing the game. And that's why yeah. I, I do yeah. believe that Runeterra has a very bright future ahead. In fact, maybe... A lot of players are starting to become very demoralized ever since after, you know, Azir Irelia and TLC together at the same time. I remember a lot of players are like telling me, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, the latest patch, nothing has happened and all that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do that, believe that the that next patch will be good. I, I hope the next patch is good. Yeah. Yeah. 
you remember that day? I I remember that day. Like, well, it's 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 around midnight, right? Where they yes. they post patch in in our time zone, and I was <laughs> like, okay, let's see some nice changes. Let's see what they've done to Blade Dance. Let's see what they've done to Thresh Nasus in TLC, and they were like. One pitch. Almost nothing there. <laughs> Almost nothing there. The blade does right when the when the uh, when the Irelia uh, level up, you get a copy of a uh, blade search. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get a blade search. Oh, and I was like, oh, that was bug. Yeah, man. word, bro. That one was like, they they just trying to be they're joking us. Like, it's like the <laughs> icing on the cake. Then people was like, okay, that's the, that's the biggest buff I've seen to us here, Irelia. And ever since then, <laughs> nothing much has really changed. The deck just got even better. Because players yeah. started to realize that Voice of the Reason is better than Inspiring Marshall after yeah. all. <laughs> and this thing, man. I don't know, man. As far as, like, let's go back to, like, as far as balance changes go, definitely just do something with the big three decks. Like, people are... It, it feels like it's it's last season, right? Yes. Because, because of what's, what's existing. And people can just ban out Azurelia in in tournament lineups and it and if you ban out Azurelia it's just it's just like last season it's the yes. same it's the same decks that are competing so definitely just those decks need to take some hits and uh, I'm an advocate of re- revisiting nerfs mm. so maybe like one ner- one nerf that I want revisited is like make it rain I want it back at two like mm. if if you're gonna have a meta wherein boards are s- incredibly wide like for Nasus Thresh for Azurelia put put make it rain back at 2 and then if we're in a meta where in uh, make it rain would be oppressive again just nerf it back to 3 I like that style of kind of balancing I don't mm. I don't appreciate like cards staying in the nerf zone for 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 so long and they did that to some extent with a shadow assassin you know they made it 1-2 they made yeah. it 2-1 and you can you can you, you can see it play it again, but I would argue that SA would be good at two two now in terms of meta. Like it would be fine at two two that it draws you a card and be elusive since sharp sight exists, hush exists, and a lot of like kill spells have been printed that would make it not not as oppressive as it was in beta in season one. Mm. And like generally, just. You you know you you get what I mean like generally I want that to happen like people the the dev team the the balance team revisit nerfs and then if we need to nerf it again on a later meta let's just let's just revert it let's just revert back to that and then uh for specific nerfs in like big three decks like May, I talked about it Matron I think is the problematic card in TLC maybe bring it down to seven or like do something with uh. Lissandra. 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 Instead of summon, play. Do something uh, Do something about that. Azurelia, definitely take some hits with Blade Dance. Maybe have Blade Dance proc only once per turn. I don't know. I think that's There's... fair enough, man. Yeah, one, once per turn is very fair. Yeah, once per turn. So it doesn't feel like... Because there are turns where they just Blade Dance like three or four times. And that's, that's, how, that's how Azurelia wins you. Because... You don't have enough mana to contend with four blade dance in in a single turn. They just overwhelm you. So, 
I think it's a good change to nerf it to like one or two times or like have something to do with the attack token. There there could be something to be explored there. Uh, NT a lot. Nasu like Shresh is very hard to nerf. I- I'm thinking that is yeah. crazy. That deck is too good to be mm. honest. Like you have so much draw power and you have such a good board and it's sometimes like I think the the broken draws of Nasus stress like we're in the one two three u with with an insane board is almost unbeatable and there has to be something that that can be done with that I'm not I'm not too sure like I don't have the exact fix for it but there should there should be something that could be that should be done with Nasus stretch and no it's not <laughs> nerf atrocity it's Definitely, that has something to with how good it can control the board. Merciless Hunter. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is like three mana, four three on steroids, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> look at that card. It gets vulnerable. Like, you, you know, like creatures have a cost, right? Yes. Like, there's a reason that a creature is a unit is costed two. There's a unit that there there's a reason why it's costed three. You know, like. Merciless Hunter just has no business being three cost. Like its stat line alone, four three on three. Uh, 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 on a three cost is already insane. And then you latch on fearsome to it. So where the hell did uh, where the hell did fearsome come from? Where what's the mana cost that justifies fearsome being there? And on top of that, it gives one of your opponent's features vulnerable. Like, <laughs> Where? How? How did it cost three? I don't, I don't understand. It's like you try to compare uh pre-nerf Badger Bear against Merciless Hunter. It's like day and night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like pre-nerf Badger Bear was, I don't know. It was pretty broken at four, but yeah, Merciless being at three just justifies Grizzled Ranger being at four and. Having four attack on both both the units, right? So that, that's that's the thing, man. Definitely, because when I look at Nasus Trash, right, this is like the one deck which I scratch my head and think, there's many ways. Either the Shadow Ass package, or maybe it's the mid game package of the Spirit Leech, the Glimpse Beyond, and all that. And then I look at Nasus. There's no way that Nasus can get nerfed. I don't think that Nasus should get hit because it's like all the Egyptian God cards in Yu Gi Oh. It's it's the yeah. it's the franchise. It's the whole reason why the expansion event exists. And if you're going to nerf like the, the feature card, then what's the point of printing it in the first place? Yeah. And so I definitely... Think Nasus, I don't think like Nasus should yeah. touched, Definitely honestly. not. Like, yeah, you're, you're like... On top of what you said about like being, being one of the uh, premier cards in the Shurima region, right? Mm. Uh, there's just no way that we should be nerfing Nasus, but we should be nerfing the cards around it. Like, it's just... The board is just too good. Like the board state for Nasus Stress is just too good sometimes, and it just draws you too many cards. It just has too many card advantage. And you know, going back to what we were talking about a while ago, mm. uh, how certain decks can keep tempo plus draw you plus give value generation is beyond me. Like there should be ways that in core design we should be able to separate those two things. Is I don't know, like card games just aren't built to have those types, those type of uh, play patterns we're in. Oh yes, tempo plus, t- tempo plus value generation all in one is just too much. 
and especially other regions don't have access to those types of cards which makes it feel unfair and imbalanced yeah, because we, we really went through an era of like TFEs and TFEs where we look at Nasus Trash, right? This deck, right, creates tokens. You Spirit Leech, you can glimpse beyond, you can write, on, write, of a, write of calling, you refill your hand and all that. Nasus gets bigger and the game just like, they just drop Nasus and they win the game. And that's one thing where a lot of players, they not a lot of decks can handle it unless you run like Triple Hush. And then you yeah. look at the decks across the board. You want to run aggro. You face against Nasus Trash, you get obliterated. You try to run something that doesn't have hush. You you stare against the Nasus Trash that comes the Nasus that comes down at like what 17, 17. He doesn't even need to level up. He just threatens one Nasus there and you're like, okay, I just lost. Yeah. And so I really hope, right, moving forward with the meta, right? Decks, there'll be more decks available. Because you look at the way that decks are being built, right? It's very one-dimensional. It's there's only one outcome. And I yeah. really want to see decks which are like, you know, Karma Lux, decks which are like you know, more mother control, Anivia, that kind of thing. I want to see decks which like re- require many layers, many layers to reach the outcome which is winning the game. And that's re- that's one of the hopes that I have for the game, man. Speaking about Karma Lux, like, I think that was one of the best metas, really. Bilgewater one, like, uh, Season of Plunder meta. Yeah. That was really good. Like, there were a lot of uh, complex decks that really rewarded you for playing great, like Lux Karma for one, and then... Mm. We had like uh, TF Swain, which is also a good deck where like there are layers to how you can win. Like sometimes, it, it plays like it plays like June in in Magic, right? The mm. TF Swain, the TF Swain, where in they they have a slow burn aspect. They have uh, creatures that uh, uh, go 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 for go go for go for face, and then I don't know, maybe bring back. Uh, Season of Plunder meta, wherein there were high skill decks that, yeah. and then there wasn't there wasn't a lot. Was was there a deck that was like one hit kill? SD. No, no, no. Sorry, as Karma was like one hit kill, but it wasn't like you couldn't stop the combo. Unlike mm. the combos now, right? Like there there are very narrow ways to stop leasing, for example. Like you need to have freeze in your deck or something like that. Or the way you beat atrocities, like the same. Like there are very little ways to contend with the combo decks. Matron is all Matron Watcher is also a combo deck. But back then, even as Karma wasn't that oppressive. Yeah. Ten mana man, like, you require ten ten. <laughs> yeah, and then you also need to have spells. And sometimes, you know, thinking about as Karma back then, there were times where in you spent all your spells because you needed to control the board and not die, you know, and then you couldn't do your combo. Mm. But now there's just like one two card combos that are just really powerful and really hard to stop. Like it makes it makes Ez Karma such a look look like such a good combo deck back to when if you were playing in that era you felt like Ez Karma was really unfair, right? Yeah. But thinking thinking about it now, it felt like that was the perfect combo deck. <laughs> Correct. It should exist in the game. When I, I, I see like Ezreal Karma, right? That was like the only deck throughout my entire time playing Runeterra when I have like close to a thousand games because when I first played Runeterra the one thing that brought me to Runeterra was actually Ezreal Kama because I used to play a lot of Miracle Rope I used to play a lot of Wind Up yeah. in Yu-Gi-Oh and so combo decks were like naturally what I want to play and so Ezreal Kama was the one thing where from beta all the way to like Heimervai that kind of era where I really enjoyed playing this style deck which really kept me into the game because my first 20 episodes of 
this podcast was me saying that if you can't play Ezra Kama well, you shouldn't even be thinking of playing like competitive Runeterra because it requires you to think of how you're going to win the game, how you're going to control the board state and everything. But now yeah. all of a sudden, right, this principle doesn't apply. All you got to do is like jam in cards which have like very strong stat line, maybe one or two card OTK combos, that kind of thing. And that's why the game has really, really changed since a year, man. And so like speaking of that, right, let's like wrap this up and Okay, any shoutouts from your side, man? Any other uh, comments? Shoutouts, man. I've talked about them in this episode, so shout out to my team, Blacklist. Mm. Shout out to Riot for always getting me these casting gigs. Dude. Yeah. Hello. Uh, when this episode comes out, it's going to be after Seasons, right? So yes. I want to thank everybody for like watching Seasons, and I hope you enjoyed me casting there, and then I hope you enjoyed... Uh, listening to Hazelnuts and me in this podcast and really grateful to be here man mm. thanks for inviting me yeah I'll, I'll definitely have you on sometime in the next season or so and so you know what this episode has been one of the one of the longest and definitely one of the most insightful I've had for ever since I started this podcast initially when I started this podcast I always meant it to be like a monologue style of me talking just by my own and I'm very grateful to have like Zero Infinity today who's joining me, talking about the game, talking about experience playing, his history of playing card games, eventually now being a commentator, a coach to a, to a team of young players in the Philippines. And so I really hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode coming from me and both Zero Infinity. And if you want to reach out to Zero Infinity, hey man, how, how do we reach you? I'll link all your stuff there, but you can like talk about your different social oh, media handles. Dude. Every every social media, it's just zero infinity zero seven four, and that's on my Twitter, that's on my Facebook, that's my Twitch as well. When I, I do, I rarely stream, but mm. when I do, like I don't know, it's pretty, it's a pretty fun stream. Okay, okay, definitely. I'll, and then, I'll, and yeah, that's, you can carry that's on. How you yeah. get to me? Mm. I, I will link all your stuff in my description box below, so you guys can go like check him out. Definitely one of the top players in my region, one of the most insightful ones. And actually, I've come to the end of today's episode. Like I mentioned, hope you guys enjoyed it. That's all I have for today. Have a good season. I, I definitely know that Azir Irelia TLC is something which a lot of players are very upset about. But no doubt, we'll be walking into or going into or diving into the rise of the Underworlds next week. Looking forward to the new cuts. And that's all I have for today. And that's game. Thank you.